If you would, turn with me to Luke chapter 14. We're going to start reading in verse 15. Luke chapter 14, we'll start reading verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. At the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five oxen, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Let me pray. Father, we ask that as we consider the word of your son, as he taught these men, the Pharisees, we, we ask that as we consider it, your spirit would work to apply it to our hearts, that you would help us to understand your word and rejoice in your word and And we pray that we would not make excuses, that we would come to your son, that we would look to him. Pray if there are people here that don't know your son, Jesus, who have their excuses of better things to do, we we pray that you would work even through your word this morning so they would see your son and the invitation that he's given and they would turn to him in faith and be saved. Pray you would compel them to come in. They would know your great grace and trust you. Pray for our own hearts that we would see the ways in which we have continued to look to other things as more important than you, and that we would repent, that you'd be honored. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I've noticed an interesting trend in my life, in my life, and in pastoral ministry, and that's that people, people have the enormous ability to do two things, the Incredibly strong ability to do two things well. Make excuses when they don't want to be somewhere and be present when they do want to be somewhere. People make it to events that they find to be important. They make it to what they think they need to be at or where they want to be. They make it. And when they don't want to be there or don't think they need to be there, they're quite proficient at making excuses. I've seen a lot. I've watched the young man make it to a game on Saturday night, but be too busy to make it to church on Sunday morning. I've seen the young women who show up early every week, and this is a fun one for me to watch, as they're single and talking to certain guys who are showing up, 
They make it early every week, and as soon as they get married, they're suddenly late every week. And so is that man now. I have watched a young couple have time for a concert, but not have time to make it to a small group. I've watched young parents have time to take their children to every sporting practice and game, but not have time to read the Bible with their kids or pray with them. I've watched older men have plenty of time to golf, but to be too busy to serve. I've seen students who have plenty of time to post on Facebook and watch movies, but don't have time to get their homework done. I, I could go on, you guys get the point, right? We make time for the things we think are important or the things we really want to do, and we make excuses for everything else. Interestingly, this ties into the question I asked last week. The question I asked last week is, why do men reject Jesus? Why do men reject him? And when I say men, I mean that in a gender-inclusive sense. Why do we reject Jesus? Well, what we did last week is we looked at the dinner party that Jesus was invited to one Sabbath and how we took the Pharisees to task for their self-righteousness and their self-exaltation and their self-seeking. And he said, the reason you reject me at the end of the day, we learned, is because they're self-righteous and self-exalting and self-seeking and they do not want to face up to the truth about themselves or ultimately their need to be saved. They don't want to face up to the condemnation for their sin. They don't want to look at it. They'd rather pay attention to other things. And today's text picks up in the midst of that dinner party, right in the middle of that dinner conversation, and it continues to make a similar point. However, this passage presses further into the reasons for rejecting Jesus by demonstrating our inability to see our need. We just, we just tend to be unable to see our need. We don't want to see our need for Jesus. See, we reject, we reject Jesus because we don't think we need him. We desire other things more. Let, let me set the scene for you again. Jesus has been invited to lunch by a Pharisee. And as they're having lunch together at this house, there are several other Pharisees there. They're trying to entrap him. A man is brought in who has got dropsy, which means he's dying, and it's showing in the way stuff is profusely coming out of his skin. The disease on the inside is rotting his body so badly that it's now beginning to show on the outside. And these men are looking for an opportunity to entrap him. They don't care that this man is dying. They want to entrap Jesus on the Sabbath. They want to critique him. They want to look down on him because they want to exalt themselves. They are self-centered, self-exalting, self-seeking men. And Jesus takes them to task on every one of those problems. And you can imagine the room as they're having lunch and Jesus tells all of them that they don't seem to care about this man who's dying, but they do about the things that benefit them. And as Jesus tells them that their problem is he looks at the guests and says, the problem with you guests is you came in here looking for the honored seats rather than taking the lower seats because you're prideful. And then as he looks at the host and says, the problem with you, host, is that you invite all the people who somehow benefit you. You don't invite the people who cost you because you're selfish. Now, you can imagine if you said that at someone's dinner party, it might get kind of quiet, right? 
and a bit tense. And these men are silent, and the tension is running high. And some man in the room thinks to himself, he's going to break that tension. He's going to end the silence. You've been in those situations, right, where everything gets uncomfortable and quiet, and everybody's sitting there kind of looking at each other. And somebody tries to interject with a comment that they think is going to be helpful, and a lot of times it's a bomb. You know what I'm talking about? So this guy interjects with a comment, and he thinks he's helpful. Look at it in Luke 14, verse 15. When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Now what's wrong with this man's statement? The statement seems to be equivalent to saying, heaven is better than this place. It's going to be a blessing in heaven. You're right, Jesus. Blessed are those who are going to be in heaven, who are going to be in the kingdom of God. And this man seems to think he'll be there, right? Because you don't say that if you don't think you're going to be there. I don't hear anybody saying, man, heaven is a much better place. I'm not going to be there, but it would be great if I was. This guy thinks he's going to be there. He has an interest in being there. And we all want to go to a better place, don't we? And what's Jesus' response to his statement? Jesus addresses this man, really, and as he does, we see three parts to his response. And here's here's what they are. He gives a serious warning to this group, and this man specifically. He gives a gracious invitation, and and he tells them of an expansive mission. So let's look at those three parts. First, let's look at the serious warning. Verse 16, but he said to him. Now notice first that Jesus is addressing this parable to the man who made the statement. See, this man seems like he's got it together. He's saying the right thing theologically, or at least he thinks he is. Blessed is everyone who feasts or is at the banquet in the kingdom of God, right? Who eats bread there at the kingdom of God. He thinks he's got his theology together. He thinks he's making the right statement. And Jesus then turns and addresses a parable to him. Jesus is speaking to all the men in the room, but this man is the main target of his statement. Because this man wants to be in the kingdom of God. He's expecting an amen from Jesus. So he thought, I'll say this, Jesus will say amen, he'll get off all our backs. Instead, he gets a warning from Jesus. See, he's familiar with what Jesus said, but Jesus is about to tell him that he isn't going to be a partaker in Jesus' kingdom. So why is this man, who is seemingly saying the right thing, not going to be a partaker in the kingdom? This guy's having a meal with Jesus. He's saying the right things to Jesus, but he's missing some Incredibly important information. And what's worse, he's not interested in that information when Jesus gives it to him. Let, let's look at, the, at this important information he's missing. Look at verse 16 and 17. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. Now so you understand the context of this, Jesus is talking here about the Old Testament. This invitation that they are getting invited to 
is speaking of the fact that the Old Testament patriarchs and prophets were continuously telling them about God's promises, God's covenants, God's prophecies, that there will be a great banquet, that they are all invited to it. You're invited to this. These men, the Pharisees, were quite familiar with the Old Testament and were quite familiar with the promises of this coming great banquet. That's why this man references it. Blessed is the man who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. Verse 17, Jesus goes on, so a man once gave a great banquet, that being the father, offering this great banquet, invited many, and at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, now I want you to understand what this is here. In that, in that culture, it wasn't unusual to give two invitations. The first invitation is sort of like our save the date invitation, Right? The thing is, when you save it, in our culture, the problem is when, that's not equivalent is when you send out a save the date card to a bunch of people, that doesn't obligate them to all come to the party, right? When they're obligated to come to the party is when they fill out the invitation and they send it back to you, the, the reply card, they send it back to you. And now they know that by doing that, they tell you the number of guests, etc. they know by doing that, you're now buying food for all those people. And so when they don't come, they've just wasted a whole bunch of your money. Just, just remember that if I ever invite you anything, by the way. <laughs> so, <laughs> but the point is, is that you fill this out, right? And then that's, the, well, we generally just do one invitation, but for them, they did two. The first invitation was, you're all invited. Once you said you were coming, now this person is preparing all this food for you. They're gathering all the supplies. Once they've gathered up all the supplies and gotten the party ready, they sent out a second invitation saying to you, the party's ready. It's time to start. I managed to gather all the supplies together. I managed to get everything ready. Now come to the party. And what Jesus is saying is, in the Old Testament, the Father kept inviting you. He gave you promises and prophecies. He told you this was coming. You all said you wanted to come. And now he sends out the second invitation. The servant goes out and says, the banquet's ready. Come, for everything is now ready. And what Jesus is saying to them is, Everything that you saw in the Old Testament promising my coming, I'm here. You're talking about the banquet will come in the future. I'm telling you the banquet is standing right in front of you. I'm here. The kingdom of God has arrived because the king is here. Is that not what John the Baptist said when he said, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand? And then Jesus came in and said the same thing. The kingdom of God has arrived in the person of the king, Jesus. And he's saying to this guy, you're sitting at the table with me, telling me blessed is the person who'll eat the bread, with the bread at the, in the kingdom, and I'm here. This man doesn't even know the kingdom of God is here. It's as Paul says about his Jewish brothers in Romans 10 when he says that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. So they don't know that the law is being fulfilled in Christ. He doesn't know that Jesus is the king who was promised, who was promised in the Old Testament, and that when the king comes, the kingdom comes with him. And even worse, Jesus is pointing out that even once I'm, now that I'm giving you the right knowledge, you're still not going to be interested in coming. Look at verse 18. <clears throat> but they all like began to make excuses. See, I'm telling you, the servant has come out to tell you the party has started, and 
you're still not interested. So you're making this nice empty statement, but what is it worth? The party is here and you're not interested. You're making excuses. And they make three kinds of excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. This is a ridiculous request. If you understand this part of the world in the first century, you didn't just buy land sight unseen. These deals took a long time. You generally don't just buy land sight unseen now unless you're not a very wise investor. So for this guy to have said, I bought a field and I need to go out and see it, it's just a lame excuse. It's just a way to get out of coming to the party. And another said, I've bought five yoke of oxen and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Really? How many farmers do you know that will buy animals without seeing them first? Or having somebody who they trust sign off on them, right? But this guy needs to go examine the animals for the first time he's already bought them. Can you imagine? I bought five used cars. I need to go look and see what they're like. And another said, I have married a wife and therefore I cannot come. We all understand that. <clears throat> of course, his wife wouldn't let him come, right? Actually, <clears throat> all of these excuses are bunk. Why can't this man bring his wife? Why wouldn't he say to the servant, hey, can I bring my wife with me? They're all bunk. The fact is that they don't accept the invitation to come because they aren't interested in being at the banquet in the kingdom of God. The bottom line is these men have been given an invitation to feast at the greatest banquet in time and eternity, and they're opting out so they can have scraps off of dirty plates in the back alley. Why? Because they don't think they need the king who's given the banquet, and they don't need his banquet. What they really need is the things of this world. They really want those things. You see, I don't have time for Jesus because I'm busy with work. Are you so concerned about temporal provision that you don't care about the eternal banquet? I don't have time for Jesus because my children are really good at sports and may earn a scholarship. Do you think their scholarship in any way compares with the invite to God's banquet? I don't have time for Jesus because I'm busy making a fortune. Do you believe that your reward here can in any way, shape, or form touch all the riches of God in Christ Jesus? I don't have time for Jesus because I'm really busy entertaining myself. Do you think the pleasures of worldly entertainment even come close to the joy of God's eternal treasure? I don't have time for Jesus because I, I need to get rest you think taking a nap and watching TV compares to the rest you'll experience reclining at the Lord's table? You see, think of what you're invited to by Jesus. All the riches of God are ours in Christ Jesus. So what are you running after instead? What are your excuses? What are excuses that keep you from pressing into Jesus and making your life about him and his banquet. 
You might think heaven is a better place and I want to be there. See, I know all about what Jesus said and did. I think what Jesus said and did is really good. However, as Pastor Alistair Begg rightly stated, there is a warning for those of us who can mistake familiarity with Jesus and what he said for a genuine repentant faith in who he is and what he did. We're like the man who seems to be familiar with the truth about Jesus, yet is not a follower of Jesus. So you might be like the man in Luke 13 who Jesus addressed, who stands outside the door at the kingdom of God knocking and saying, I ate and drank in your presence and you taught in my streets, only you hear Jesus reply, I don't know you, get lost. You evildoer. Isn't that the point Jesus is making in verse 24? Look down there at the end of this parable. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. He's talking to these men in this room. And he's speaking of those people who received the first invitation who said, yeah, the kingdom of God seems great. Thanks for inviting us. And now that the king has arrived, I've got other things to do. So you all heard about me in the Old Testament, and yet you don't believe. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it's they that speak about me. Isn't that what Jesus tells these men in John 5? Yet you don't look to me that you may have life. You see, the warning is that it's possible, and I want you to hear this because it's an important warning, it's possible to be familiar with Jesus and even a fan of Jesus and not be a follower of Jesus. And let me warn those of you who love good doctrine, because I know we have people here who love good doctrine. Doctrinal orthodoxy can be a way to deny Jesus. Did you hear that? Can be an excuse to keep you from coming to him. Doctrine didn't die on the cross for you. The man Jesus Christ died on the cross for you. And don't get me wrong, doctrine is necessary for getting Jesus right, but doctrine is not sufficient. Do you understand the distinction? For getting saved. You can have the right head knowledge all about Jesus. You can have right doctrine, and that is necessary. If you don't know the right Jesus, you're not going to be saved either, but it isn't sufficient. What's sufficient is trusting in him. You must look in faith to the person and work of Jesus. So there's a serious warning to us here. Are you looking at Jesus or are you making excuses? I mean, what else is important in your life? I had a friend who I used to communicate with a lot about the gospel and say, hey, you should come and come to the church and, and get involved and hear more about Jesus. And he was telling me he wasn't a believer and he admitted to the fact that he wasn't. And nice guy, doing a lot of the right things. And I would talk to him on a regular basis, and, and I would even tell him, you know, you realize that because you don't believe in Christ, you're, you're a sinner. I mean, I'm a sinner too. That's not why you're a sinner, because you don't believe in Christ. You follow me. Because you're a sinner, you're condemned. If Christ is your only hope, if you don't look to him in faith, you're going to be damned. He said, I know, but you know what? And he actually told me this. I, I realize that's true, but, but I'm really busy trying to work out some things with my job, trying to work out some things with my family. I'll get around to it. Really? 
What does Jesus say to the man who says to him, I've got excuses right now, I can't come. I tell you, those men who were invited, none of them shall taste my banquet. Second, not only is there a serious warning, there's a gracious invitation. Look at verse 21 through 23. There's a gracious invitation. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, go out quickly to the streets and lanes of the city and bring in the poor and crippled and blind and lame. Listen, this phrase, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and lame, brackets this area. If you look up to verse 13, Jesus tells them, when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Why? Because these are the people who aren't worthy. These are the last people you expect to be at the banquet. In your case, when you invite these people to your house, these are the people who don't benefit you, but cost you. In God's case, these people cost him as well, don't they? They cost him the life of his son. But in both cases, the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame, these are the people who recognize they have a need. And when you offer them a way to fill that need, they take it because they're not so puffed up with pride. So his master says to him, go out and invite the people who know they need this banquet. Jesus' invitation is to lost people, to unrighteous people, to needy people, not to those who think they have their act together and don't have need of him. See, what that friend of mine kept telling me over and over and over again is, I'll get to Jesus later, i.e., I don't really need him. See, I have better things to do, i.e., I don't really need him. You know what, my, more than anything else, my kids need a college scholarship. We don't really need Jesus. I need to be successful in this job. We don't really need Jesus. That's what those statements mean. When I'm going to turn down pressing into Christ over and over and over again for the things of this world, what I'm saying is I don't ultimately need Jesus. He's a nice add-on. I'll get to him when I have time, but I don't need him. And his banquet doesn't excite me as much as the things of this world do. But God offers grace in this. I have not come to save the righteous, but sinners. What does Jesus mean when he says that? I've come to save the people who know they need me. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What's Jesus talking about? Those who recognize their spiritual bankruptcy, theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Doesn't the kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to those who think they have their act together. It belongs to those who think they need Jesus. See, the king has invited the most worthless, worthless subjects into his kingdom, and he is sending his servants to gather the lost, and he doesn't just invite them. What's interesting is he brings them in. If you notice that in the verse he had said there, that I want you to go out and Bring in the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. Don't just go out and invite them. Go out and get them and 
take hold of them. That's what this is talking about. Grab hold of them and bring them in. He goes on to say, I want you to compel them. It's almost like this idea of dragging them in. Verse 22, and the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be full or filled See, I want you to go out to the highway so you understand now this is outside of the city. Go inside of the city and get all the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. And then once you've brought all them in, the house is still full. Okay, now go outside the city and go to the highways and lanes and byways. Go out and find all the people who are living in little tent structures right off the side of the road. The people who aren't even citizens of this city, the people who are out there wandering around who are in need, go out and get a hold of them and compel them to come in that my house may be full. Why does he bring them in? Why does he compel them to come in? I mean, why compel? Why not just give them an invitation? Of course, they would see the king's invitation, right, and go, I'm invited to the king's banquet? Are you kidding me? I'll come. Where's the bus? I'm going to get on. Wouldn't you think that's what they would say? No. It's not what they say. He says, go out and bring them in. Go out and compel them in. Don't just give them an invitation. Why do they have to be compelled? Why do they have to be brought in? Let me answer this by explaining to you that culture a little bit. In that culture, to be poor, blind, crippled, or lame is to be an outcast, it's to be unclean. You're not accepted or invited to dinner parties, particularly not those of the king. To be those who live outside the city, off the sides of roads and just little tent structures they set up, they're not invited to banquets, particularly not the banquets of the king. They're the rejects. So in that city, you're an unwanted person. Therefore, you would never be invited to the king's house for a banquet. That honor was far too great for you. See, the offer of the servant seems generous and wonderful, but he can't possibly mean it. As the servant comes around and says to this poor, blind, lame crippled, homeless person, come to the banquet. The king wants to honor you at his banquet. This person hears, that's really nice, but it's not true. Thanks for the invitation, but it can't possibly be true. I can't possibly come. Look at my dirty and tattered clothes. Look at my mangled feet. Look at my blinded eyes. Look at my leprous skin. Look at my little tent in the bushes on the side of the road. You can't be talking to me. I'm not worthy to go to the king's house for a great great banquet honoring him. I'm a disgrace. I'm ashamed. Thank you, but it's not really me. It can't be for me. Do you know that I've struggled with drugs and alcohol? 
Do you know how I've struggled with pornography? Have you seen how I've behaved sexually? Do you know what I think about? Have you seen me yell at my children in anger? Do you know how I've been unfaithful to my spouse? You can't possibly mean me. And the servant grabs them by the arm, not to say I'm forcing you to come, but to say I really mean it. The king has invited you. He knows your condition. He wants you to come. He will cleanse you. He has new clothes for you. The king is good and gracious, and he's invited you. Come with me. You see, this is an amazing grace that's being shown. It's the kind of grace that says to the man when you walk up to him and you say, you need to turn to Jesus, and he says, I need to get my act together first. I need to clean things up before I look to Jesus. And you say to him, you don't understand. The Father's invited you as the mess that you are. But, but look at me. He can't possibly be inviting me. Yes, he can. His son lived perfectly in your place. His son paid the penalty in your place. His son took all your shame upon himself. And you know what he gives you in, in, in return for that? He gives you his honor. He gives you his holiness, his righteousness. He gives you his life. You can come, but your, my clothes are dirty. The son will give you his royal robes. You can come, but I'm not worthy. You're right, you're not worthy. The Father knows you're not worthy. But Jesus, his son, is, and his son has made a way for you to come to the banquet. Look to him and come. So you think, why is he compelling them? He's not compelling them to force them against their will. He's convincing them that God's grace really is that good. And once they hear that it's really that good, they don't want to do anything but come. They want to rush right in. It's the kind of grace they can't resist. It's the kind of grace they can't ever look away from. It's so incredibly gracious and they're so incredibly needy that they come. See, the King Jesus has come to seek and save the lost. So do you want to receive his invitation to be saved and enter into his kingdom? Or do you have better things to do? People who know their true condition realize they have nothing better to do. Nothing. Finally, there's an expansive mission. So there's a serious warning and a gracious invitation, and there's an expansive mission. Look at verse 22 and 23 again. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. What does the master want? He wants his servants to go out and get his house filled up. He has this expansive mission in which he wants to see men and women saved from every tribe and tongue and nation. He doesn't want an empty house. He wants a full house. And he sends his servants out to fill the house. 
He wants as many people eating at his banquet as he can get there. That's the mission of the church. We go throughout the world compelling people to come in. What what does Andrew do? If you think about John chapter 1, Andrew first meets Jesus, the Messiah, right after John baptizes him. And what's the first thing that Andrew does, does when he meets Jesus? He immediately goes and finds his brother, Simon Peter. You have to come meet the Messiah. You have to. He's here. He wants his brother to meet the Lord immediately. See, we're commanded to go out and invite people to the great banquet that we share in the kingdom of God with Jesus. So here's the question. If you've been invited to that banquet and you know your need, does that not drive you to want to say, you have got to meet Jesus? You've got to come in. He saves people like me and like you. You've got to come meet him. See, when you know your need and you understand the grace that's been given to you, that moves you to want to tell people about him. And we're commanded to go out and invite people to the great banquet. So questions I guess I have for you, have you received an invitation? Well, if you're sitting here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I want you to know that you've heard about him this morning and Jesus is calling you to come. Come to him. Look to him in faith. I pray you don't make excuses. Have you invited others? See, we're ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore men on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. Believers, are you out doing that? We've been brought to a great great banquet. Let's go out in our neighborhoods and our workplaces and throughout all the nations and compel others to come to the banquet with us. Pity a helpless sinner, Lord, who would believe thy gracious word. But oh, my heart with shame and grief, a sink of sin and unbelief. Lord, in thy house I read there is room, and venturing hard, behold, I come. But can there be, tell me, can there be amongst thy children room for me? I eat the bread and drink the wine, but oh, my soul wants more than sign. I faint unless I feed on thee, and drink the blood is shed for me. Lord, I believe thy grace is free. Oh, magnify that grace in me. For sinners, Lord, thou came to bleed, and I'm a sinner vile indeed. Lord, I believe thy grace is free. Oh, magnify that grace in me. Let me pray. Father, we ask. We ask that we would be a people who look to your son, Jesus, that we would come. If there are people here, Father, who have not come to him, who've been making excuses till now, we ask that you would work in them, that they would see their need for Jesus. They would see that they are sinners who don't deserve your kindness, but you've shown it to them in Christ. They would look to you in faith and believe. We pray for thus those of us who are believers who make excuses not to press in, who forget what our condition was and forget how great your grace has been. We pray, Father, that that you would bring us to renewed 
repentance, and faith, that you would give us a new passion for the great banquet that we've been invited to and for the son who is serving that and that we would bring many to him. They would go out and talk of him. We want them to know the Messiah has come. The banquet is now ready and they're invited. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.